welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. And we are one week into 2017. And I spent a lot of time, mostly because I was snowed in by like 14 inches of snow. And I was stuck in a house with a three-year-old and a four-month-old. <laughs> but during the downtime where of quietness, the rare moments of quietness, I spent a lot of time thinking about 2016 and then setting an intent for 2017. And what I came up with was kind of the foundation of what I want this podcast to be. And really, we're at episode 19 right now. And up until this point, it's been about exploring, putting the podcast out there, and really kind of forming the idea that I came up with this week. And that idea is I want this podcast and really I want my whole 2017 goal and maybe my life goal is to inspire goodness. Now, there are ways I want to inspire goodness and that could be by promoting adventure uh, maybe promoting positivity, promoting love, perseverance, mindfulness, generosity. And I think this is really important because there are so many examples of terrible things going on in the world. Uh, we were watching the news over the last week, especially I think it was like the wrap up of 2016 news. And it was just all so unbelievably negative and gross to be honest with you I was getting kind of upset watching the local news at how terrible and terrifying the stories they were choosing to focus on were now that doesn't mean I want to live my life in a bubble and not think anything terrible ever happens because obviously that's not realistic but you can choose to focus on those terrible stories or you can choose to focus on the goodness. And so that's really what I wanted to share. And I came up with this idea, just a quick plug for an amazing podcast called Dream, Think, Do, which Tim Wambach and I discussed a little bit a few episodes back. Um, it's a podcast by Mitch Matthews, who is a very inspirational guy whose goal is to help people realize a million dreams in his lifetime and he did a whole podcast this week about goal setting and that's this podcast he kind of walks you through a whole goal setting strategy and i i it really connected with me and i thought it was really really powerful so i'll be sharing that on the like a bigfoot facebook group for you guys to check out um as we head deeper into this year and this week, I'm proud to welcome someone who is very inspiring to me. Um, I follow her on Instagram, Shada Hussein, and her pictures of the Pacific Northwest and specifically hiking, exploring, adventuring in one of the most beautiful parts of the country. Her pictures are just phenomenal. So you should check her out. It's Shada05 on Instagram. And her blog is Daily Amusements of a Midwest Girl. And you'll hear the story when we get to the conversation, but essentially, Shada went from being a person who spent 
most of her life indoors to falling completely in love with hiking, exploring, getting into nature, um, and just heading out outdoors. And last year, she stepped up to the 52 hike challenge, where essentially you hike a different trail every single week uh, throughout the whole entire year. And she actually did 73 trails. So I was really curious to hear more of her story. Um, I love hearing stories from hiking because the weirdest, funniest, sometimes most terrifying things pop up and uh, it's always entertaining. So I wanted to get her on the podcast and I'm glad to share this conversation with you. So big, big round of applause for episode number 19, Shada Hussein. So I wanted to have you on the podcast today because, at least according to social media, which I don't know how accurate it is, but you've like transformed into like an outdoors explorer of the Pacific Northwest, which is one of the coolest areas on earth. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. Will you kind of give us a little idea of uh, your relationship with the outdoors while you're growing up? Yeah, it was pretty easy to describe. It was non-existent. Um, so um, my parents were not outdoors people at all, and I really didn't have much exposure. And for those who probably grew up in the Midwest, they can relate that it's so easy to just drive everywhere. Um, everything's so spread out. And not only just going from point A to point B, but even doing activities with friends. You pull up right up to the door, basically, of a movie theater or a restaurant. There's really not much um, outdoors if you don't want it to be. Um, I even remember in undergrad school, like, all the buildings were connected by skywalk, so you didn't even have to go outside to go from class to class. So, I mean, I really was never, like, pushed to have to be outdoors. Um, and even though I traveled all across the U.S. for my clinicals, um, I even did one in Utah State Hospital, um, which is a gorgeous state, and for those who enjoy the outdoors, is something that they could find endless possibilities in. But because I was so busy with clinicals, I didn't explore a single national park when I was there. So it was definitely um, a great lost opportunity. That's a bummer. I know. So. Um, Flash forward a couple more years, when I came to Seattle in 2012, I was doing a clinical at the VA hospital, and a bunch of the people in my department um, were hikers, and um, they got me into hiking, and they were very gracious and kind, and they didn't get me to summit a mountain the first time I went hiking. Where did you, um, you go? Where was your first time hiking? Um, it was definitely urban hiking, so just kind of they did very gradual, and um, Seattle has tons of parks, and you can kind of make them however you want. You can stay on the trails, or you can deviate from the trails, which is really great. And I mean, I didn't have even the proper shoes, so if it, like, rained or was muddy, like, I was kind of screwed. And it never <laughs> does that in Seattle, from what I hear. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's just, like, 352 days of sunshine. So <laughs> of course. Um, it's known as the Sunshine State, you know, always <laughs> California. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they were really great, and so they... Um, 
they did kind of like the just right challenge for me. So they definitely took me outside my comfort zone and challenged me, but didn't make it so it wasn't going to be a successful experience. And I'm very like thankful for that because I hear a lot of people who get deterred from doing activities or starting a new lifestyle because people just didn't weren't mindful with it and conscientious about really their capabilities. Yeah. And so I owe a lot to my friends for that. And um, yeah, so I mean, they did distance before they did incline with me and that worked out really good. And then I did some of my own kind of personal growth on my own. Um, so as I mentioned, like in the Midwest, it's so easy to drive everywhere. And I live in downtown Seattle, so I can be, I can walk anywhere and almost everywhere. So I started taking advantage of that, something I would have drove to the grocery store and now I walk to the grocery store. So starting to implement those small lifestyle changes and um, just like walking down to the library. So, I mean, it was very gradual and um, yeah. So, I mean, that was kind of, I had a really great introduction into the outdoors and I just did hiking. Um, Washington is known for winter sports oh yeah um, yeah didn't participate in any of those <laughs> i just started new year's day snowshoeing so oh. finally five years later um friends have convinced me that apparently snow is fun which i mean i just enjoy snow and a stone with like some flavoring on it but yeah. they got me in the snow. That's awesome. Um, so for I love I love the idea of just right challenge. I yeah. think that's awesome. And um you know that's so important because if you love an activity and you've been doing it for years and years and mm-hmm. all of a sudden you get a newcomer, it's so tempting to take them to the tallest mountain or make them try the hardest thing because you love that. And, you know, you don't want to burn them out on it. And I think the same way, especially with raising uh, Harper and Zoe, you know, I want them to like camping. I want them to like skiing, uh, sledding, all that fun stuff that's outside. But, you know, along with it, you you have to keep that in mind that they're just starting and you don't want to make the first experience completely miserable. (laughs) Absolutely. And I mean, I think it also like I didn't know what. It's the same thing if when you go to a doctor, you're not an expert. You don't know the questions you're supposed to ask in order to get better. And so for me, I didn't really know what um, I needed to ask before I went on a hike. And it seemed like so many of my friends had already got other people interested before I came along and knew exactly what to tell me to kind of just even mentally prepare me of what to kind of expect. So like when they would take me on more difficult hikes, I mean, I can definitely do 20 questions and be like, okay, so what can I expect? Are there going to be bears? Are there going to be cougars? Like, what should I do? And so, like, I think my friends just having that rapport, they kind of knew how to not only get me physically ready, but also, like, mentally ready. And I think that mental part, because especially if you're starting something new and you have never done it, you're self-conscious, maybe your self-esteem's low. And so I think that that um, comfort and support you get from friends um, is just as key as your physical ability of like attempting something. Yeah, oh, it makes it so much more fun to do something in a community. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, because I've tried hobbies where, 
you know, you see something that you want to learn how to do and you just show up and you you don't know anybody and it's intimidating cuz not only do you not know anybody but you also don't know how to do the activity <laughs> and you just hey, you feel so self-conscious and and with friends it kind of eases that self-consciousness away so. mm-hmm. yeah and i mean for me i was i also had this motivation to soak up as much as i could Um, because I was planning on only staying for a year to finish my clinicals and then I was going to go back to the Midwest. So I had this urgency as well to like soak up as much as I can. So I was definitely hungry for like knowledge and exposure. Um, So yeah, I think those were all attributes that helped. Yeah. What, uh, what made you stay in Seattle? So I think there's a lot of things. And when I tell people it's, it's the weather, people laugh and like <laughs> face. And it's like, no, no, I am like dead serious. Um, so we have pretty temperate weather here. And I get it. Seattle has its little bubble of climate because you go 20 minutes away and it could be, be like snowing. So um, it's definitely the weather. I do not like the heat and I do not like the extreme cold and how I survived for 25 years in the Midwest with negative wind shields and heat indexes over 100 is beyond me. It's crazy. Uh, when I went to, uh, when we were living in Southern Virginia, which was essentially North Carolina too, we're out on the border, everyone during the summer was like, you must not be used to this. This must be way outside your comfort zone. And I had to explain, no, we totally got this in Iowa. We would get the 100 degree terrible humidity days but we would also get the negative 30 with windchill, like horribleness. So we would get the, I love Iowa, don't get me wrong. It's one of my favorite places in the world, but the weather there completely sucks. You would get the worst of both. And the thing is like, not all mid state Midwest states are the same either because before I came to Iowa, I lived in Missouri. Yeah. And until you moved to like Muscatine, that the extremeness of like my parents mowing their grass one day and then the next day shoveling snow <laughs> it, it dawned on me of like where in the world are we living and like the first year i moved to muscatine we got like 40 inches of snow and i remember it was like eight inches overnight and if that had happened in missouri school would have been canceled and we didn't even have a two hour late start and i was like what is going on it's like, crazy it, do these people not realize you don't live in Alaska? Like, we need like, to have school canceled. So I agree. I mean, I went home for the holidays, and it was 50 degrees when I left Seattle. Yeah. And got in, and then the next day it was negative 33. So it's a huge <laughs> difference. And definitely repress that of, like, there's people who live like this. Like, why do you choose to live here when there's so much better weather elsewhere? I know. I know. And... Oh. Just rethinking of it, though, there are outdoor activities in Iowa, and there are state parks, and, you know, I every time I go back, I go for a run at Wildcat Den, but yep. when I was there, it's not, it's just, it's not an activity that everybody goes and does, and now I live in Iowa, or even in Virginia, and I obviously in Washington, hiking is like a big activity that a lot of the population mm-hmm. do, like go out, they participate in. And I guess I just, when I was in Iowa, I didn't even think, like, I should go for a hike at Wildcat Den. And I did a few times, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't, like, an everyday thing. Right. And I think, I remember 
somebody did a blog post about how we think just it was like Iowa and the number of state parks or federal parks that we had there and it was it astonished me yeah and I also think it's it's a the responsibility of an individual to also increase their awareness about what their surroundings are but I also think of like the city and the state also encouraging it um, and so I was just thinking of like when I'm walking outside with my parents when I visit um, when we're walking, people stop thinking our cars has broken down and like they want to give us a ride. And it's no, no, we're out exercising. And just the look of confusion of like, why are we outside? Like it's so abnormal. And I'm not saying every place is like that, but I mean that happens qu- quite regularly. And like, there's not sidewalks on like roads. And so I mean. So you're having to walk in the road and it's not very safe. So I can understand why um, kids aren't exposed to the outdoors as much because it's not um, as outdoor friendly as other places. Well, I would say, you know, you can go on hikes and you can go to state parks there. um, But like the maximum amount of miles you're probably going to hike are four or five miles and if you're looking for something really long distance or you know when you're out west or you're even in the Appalachian Mountains um, you have the option of doing backpacking trips where it's going to be overnight and all that stuff so absolutely. so yeah and I'm sure there's probably places in Iowa that we just don't know about <laughs> but but for the most <laughs> part I was in the same boat as you where I just you know wouldn't do as many like I went all through college and I love the outdoors but I went the whole time at University of Iowa, and I think there were like three days I actually went for a hike. Yeah. Which is insane to me now. I'm like, what? Today, today I stayed inside all day because it was snowing, and that felt super yeah. weird one day. <laughs> and I think it helps. I mean, we're such electronic age now, too, the, like to have reliable resources like the Washington Trail Association, which is a nonprofit, and how people are so active on there talking about current trail conditions and um, just they have a hike of a week or whatever, that each week you get an email of what the hike is that they're encouraging people who can go do it because of wildflowers being in bloom or the larch trees are golden. Like It really like educates people in a very, um, in a way that they're facilitating your love for it before you even get out there. And so I think that's immensely helpful. And once again, it might have been the stage of my life where when I was in the Midwest and living there and what I was busy with with school and now as an adult who's having to work and all the adulting things that come with it, like actually being more cognizant of my free time and wanting to use it more purposefully. Yeah. So I think that all of those variables kind of um, just hit really well when I moved to Seattle. So it could have been timing, but I think also because I think Seattle is the best place ever and I don't bias at all. So (laughs) yeah, you're going to be our go-to like Pacific Northwest champion. I'm good with that. I don't know. (laughs) about california because they have so much sunshine but oh yeah you're dark and dreary like totally i'm the person to go for so you totally <laughs> you kind of dig the whole rainy overcast thing and my friends hate it because and that was kind of like when i was evaluating kind of what i wanted to do for my new year's resolution in 2016 i don't like to like um, make resolutions to like 
change a behavior. Cause I think that's just not setting yourself up for success because then, um, it's kind of very black and white. So I like to kind of choose things to augment. So I was already hiking. And so, um, most of my friends like the summer and I just don't quite understand it. The pesky mm-hmm. sun is out and like, I don't understand it. That so <laughs> I know. And so I noticed a pattern that I was kind of doing during the summer when most people are outside in the trails, I wasn't as much outside. <laughs> um, it's like my least active time. And there's many things for me that contribute to that. Um, because it's so nice out, there's more people on the trails. Kids are out of school. And so, I mean, there's a lot more kids as well. And it does bother me when like, and it comes down to sometimes like parents as well of like really controlling the children. Like if there's, to not kind of disrupt the wildlife and like the, to just kind of appreciate nature and stuff. So that's another reason the off season fits me quite well. Yeah. I saw, I was out here, um, this was probably a couple of months ago, but it was right when we first moved out, and we were hiking along this trail by Boulder, by what's called the Flatirons, they're really cool mountains. And, yeah. and as yeah. we were walking, I see these, this like, oh man, it was these two guys, uh, probably middle-aged, and then there was three, uh, I don't know, probably like 10-year-olds. And all of them were just looking at their phone as they were walking by this beautiful flat iron. So like, what are you doing? <laughs> but, you know, it's so hard to see that for me because I, you know, I don't think, I think the same way. I mean, that's the time you should unplug and, you know, take in mm-hmm. your surroundings and really appreciate what it means to be out there um, and not be distracted. Absolutely. And for me, it's kind of the respite break I need. I get kind of, I can be stressed during my week, but if I can get a good hike in on the weekend, like those little stresses don't bother me as much during the week. And so since I know that about myself, that when people, like I remember I was in the whole rainforest, which is one of the rainforests here in Washington over in the Olympic National Park. And um, there, the moss grows so much, it's so heavy, that it can break, like, branches off trees. Because they get 100, almost 175 inches of rain a year. And to put that in perspective, when people think that, like, Seattle's a super rainy city, um, we only get, like, 35 inches of rain. (laughs) Like, Chicago actually annually gets more rain than we do. And so I remember I was... I was actually with Allie, and there was a kid who was climbing a tree way off trail and broke the branch. And the ad and the kid didn't weigh that much, but already it's like a very delicate like ecosystem. And so I remember it probably took me like 30 minutes before, like in my head, this very like therapeutic atmosphere. But that little thing just triggered me to be like, oh my gosh, like. He just ruined that tree. And, like, things like that shouldn't bother, but in a way it does. It's just kind of proper etiquette of being on hikes and trails. And there is a learning curve to that, but I think that was kind of, like, a disregard to it. Yeah, yeah. So Um, what what caused you to – I mean, so you purposely set a goal last year. I did. To do 50 And it was because of 
summer, I realized that pattern of I wasn't going outside in the summer. So I was going to start off with being more mindful and actually making the time each week to develop that routine. So when summer came, I would be ready to go out every single week and it wouldn't be such an abrupt temperature change because I would be going out every week as it progressively got warmer. And so I did it specifically for winter um, where I have friends that's the other nine months of the year that the motivation yeah. <laughs> for me the three months. So that was why I did it. And also um, I set the parameter. So there's a 52 hike challenge. It's not something I came up with. It's something that was already something that was going along going along, I don't know if on social media, um, but I had another friend who was doing it. And so, um, who doesn't live here in Washington. So that's how I became aware that of of its existence. And so, um, I think with anything with life, um, you kind of see what the guidelines are and if it fits you, great if not i think it's okay to adapt and modify it um it doesn't have to be so rigid so i did try um to definitely do it as it um what would the guidelines be so since there's 52 weeks in a year you do a hike every week okay and um it's supposed to also encourage like you to explore things so it should be a different hike every week. Gotcha. So it's super easy to do um, multiple, like a hike you love um, each season of the year here. And just to see how it changes from season to season, but that only counts as one hike. I so you'd understand. still another hike during that week. And so I didn't think it was gonna be that difficult because even in the winter, at that time I wasn't doing anything that involved snow. There are still plenty of trails. Um, here in western Washington that you can basically get on year-round. So I knew it wasn't going to be an issue, and I was okay with redoing some hikes that I had done in previous years, um, but I wanted to do a lot um, more that I hadn't done, and I have a whole slew of like hiking books, and so I was pulling hikes from there, and then also I wasn't really into social media, but the Pacific Northwest culture up here I mean, there's people who just post nature pictures. And I love Washington Trail Association because they give you a great trip review, but I am a very visual learner, and that's really what gets me interested and stimulated when um, wanting to, if it's food or whatever. I mean, that's why Yelp exists, is so you can look at <laughs> So, like, it's just the same thing with, like, nature porn, of, like, being able to just be excited, just with like love for sight of being able to be like oh my gosh i need to do that trail i don't care if it takes me 10 miles to get to that destination but i want to see this yeah 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 because it's also like always so much better in person than a picture can possibly capture absolutely and so i mean for me that was something else and once again i really am super lucky to have great friends that like we can we're not able to be like super spontaneous because of our schedules, but we're able to say, okay, Saturday we're hiking and then be pretty much up to whatever we decide the trail will be. Like some days you think that hiking a mountain on Tuesday when you're gonna be doing it on Saturday sounds like a great plan, but depending on what you do Friday night or how your week went, well, maybe that's not gonna work. So let's do a waterfall hike. So I have like really great friends that are really flexible and then 
they would be just very conscientious about, have you done this hike yet? Because they definitely wanted me to be able to count it for my 52 hikes. So having that support, I mean, it's just absolutely priceless. Yeah. How did you modify it for you? So um, up until August, there um, wasn't a week that I missed. Um, And then I think I missed a week in September. And you definitely have that moment of, oh, I just screwed it up nine months into, and now I have, I can't count it now. Yeah. But then realize the whole point, um, the overall point of me setting this challenge was to see new things. I got other people interested in hiking too, which was not something I had expected. So it was just icing on the cake. And then to just challenge myself during the summertime. And summer was over, and I had been out every single week. So I think that that really calmed my mind of like, you know what? So you had one week you didn't do a hike, but you had that one week two months ago that you did a hike every single day because the days are longer in the summer. And so to take advantage of that sunlight, it's super easy to do here. Yeah. So to we get so... We perseverate on when we mess up. We don't give ourselves enough credit on all the times we succeed. And I mean, we're all humans, so I deal with mental health all the time, but I don't always implement it in my own life. Yeah. And to be humbled by, you know, like if I had a patient who came in and talked to me about this, I would be like, yep, you totally screwed it up. Just stop. Like, there's no point of continuing. No, I would like totally (laughs) tell them that like, you know what? Like, praise yourself and give them that validation that of course they need. And I mean, of course I need it as well. And to see all the things I had accomplished leading up to that, it was so easy then the next week to get back on the trails. So, I mean, I mean, I think that that's just something we think that we have to succeed 100% of the time, but I mean, it's a broken record, but I mean, it's those times when we fail or not living up to the potential we think that makes us fight even harder or, yeah. Yeah. Did you ever hear about the Iron Cowboy? No. Okay. He's a super cool guy. So he's um, this athlete named James Lawrence and last summer, not this summer, but the one before um, 2015. He did 50 Ironmans in 50 states in 50 days. And what? Yeah, it's a crazy story. And he did this with his family in tow of five kids and his wife and his crew. And they did a 5K every night with anyone could join him and things like that. But um, he always talked about being a B plus, you know, like... You don't hold yourself to an A plus standard because if you make a mistake like that, you know you're you might not be able to rebound from it. You might it might just mess you up for good, and then you might just be like, "Screw this, I'm done," and just mm-hmm. completely fail on your goals. So he always promoted being a B plus student. So I like it. Yeah, he's a like cool. That. You should look him up. He's, his story was amazing, and uh, I went when he was in North Carolina. It was Ironman number. 24 so he wasn't quite halfway done yeah and and i ended up running the marathon with him at the end and we didn't get done with the marathon until one in the morning and he had to get in his van sleep on the floor drive to virginia and i remember waking up the next morning and i was like in pain and my legs hurt 
And I, I looked on Instagram, and he was already in the pool in Virginia. It was crazy. So he ended up doing it all, though. But yeah, be a B-plus student. I think that's pretty good advice from him. And I think it's even more commendable because, I mean, he has other people that are dependent on him. I can be incredibly selfish. So, like, if I come home from work and I think dry cereal sounds great, like, that's what I'm having for dinner. <laughs> and, like, there's no one else that's going to, like, be impacted by that decision. And so it's just when you have to start, not only, like, I can know my schedule of my week and... I mean, there's so many more variables when you have children, like they can get sick the next day and your whole schedule changes and to still like adapt and still fit things in that are time consuming. When you were just talking about driving, yes, they say that like trails are close, but there's still a lot of driving that's involved. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about that actually. So for the most part, how far away were the trails you're hiking? So... I can be a very early riser, okay. and so um, I'm. I get up pretty much every day at 4 a.m. And so, dude, high five. Me too. <laughs> We're high fiving. And so, <laughs> um, so it makes it so you can kind of get at the trailhead by like sunrise yeah. or some lights to like until it becomes so. I can definitely do day hikes, and so I've done that over in the Olympic Peninsula, um, where it sometimes takes four hours to get there and four hours back, okay. but you spend just as much time on the trail. So that's something that takes a little getting used to. Um, like, I definitely want to be outside more than I'm in the car. Yeah. So even if, like, the trail I'm wanting to see um, is, like, four miles, then I look for other trails in the surrounding area to make the trip worth it. And so that's where the hiking books and the Washington Trail Association come in really handy um, because you can see all these trail systems that are nearby to really make the drive worth it. Um, So, but uh, there's tons. So many of the ones I did are definitely less than two hours from Seattle. Okay. Uh, So less than four hours round trip. Okay. What was the longest one you... Oh, um, I mean, are you counting? I guess you would be counting if you went to other states too, right? Yeah. I, did you make any trips to like Oregon or? Did I went to Oregon? Yeah, for hiking. Um, it was kind of like a road trip hiking. So I had a friend who was visiting from Kuwait, and so she um, does really well with distance, but not heights. Yeah. And so. Um, Definitely we did distance, um, and we did the coast. I'm trying to think. The furthest one. I think that's a difficult question. I can't remember. Yeah. Not that they're not memorable, but I think that that's not the part of the hike I really remember. The and driving so, part. That makes sense. Yeah, so it's kind of repressed, especially since I did much fewer hikes by myself this year. So the company definitely makes the time go by so much faster. Totally. Um so, yeah, don't know the answer what, to that one. Uh, did, you, did you have any memorable experiences um, with wildlife or other hikers or any stories from that? Huh? <laughs> yeah, so um, I guess I have a couple. Um, once again, when I was talking about etiquette of the hike. So <laughs> let's see if you know the answer to this question. Okay. If, like, you're on the trail and you hear a whistle... 
What are some of the things like a whistle could mean to you when you think of wildlife? Oh, I was gonna say like it means like you're good looking, you know, and they're, <laughs> and they're whistling at you. No, like actual blowing the mm. whistle. Oh man, is this gonna be like some really super obvious answer? I think so. Maybe it's just common sense. Okay, so someone whistles. Looking it. I so don't know. He, like a bear. So like the loud sound. You whistle. Um, yeah, you use a whistle, and so. <laughs> My friend and I, we were like, we were already wondering, which is like code for we're lost. Like, so we had no idea where we were at. And I mean, the trails were totally unmarked and all we hear is this whistle and then the whistling stops. We're like (laughs) pessimists and we're like, okay, a bear just ate someone. And like, (laughs) and so... Come to find out, it was a bunch of these kids who were just blowing whistles at each other. No way, <laughs> just really? Like, Whistle fight? So my blood, yeah, so my blood pressure went up for no reason, and we yeah. were constantly like, behind us, constantly. And then the same friend, um, she's definitely afraid of snakes, which we do not have poisonous snakes here in western Washington. We do in eastern Washington. Okay. So I see your pictures on Instagram of all the snakes that... Oh, my snakes? Almost, oh, my God. <laughs> Can I tell you a story real quick? We okay. So first of all, my this is the story of my relationship with copperheads in Virginia. Um, we came from Iowa, where there's no poison snakes, and if there is, there might be rattlesnakes, but I never saw them. We just see the little I didn't yeah, yeah gardener snakes and stuff. From the parking lot to the mall. So yeah. yeah, there were rattlesnakes there. Um, so we we get to Virginia, and that's when I got into trail running. And so about a month into trail running, I'd say. I'm running along, and every day I'm taking pictures of, like, deer or owls and stuff. Like, I was trying to get all the animals, kind of, Pokemon style. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I see this cool snake, and it's, like, just sitting across the trail. So I go up to it, and I'm, like, a foot away with my camera, and I take a picture, and I'm like, that was a pretty cool snake. And then I just, like, gingerly step over it, no problem. (laughs) I keep running, and I get to work the next day, and I'm showing uh, this. You're um, science you're right. I am a science. This is the embarrassing. The irony part. is not lost on me, but continue. Yeah. <laughs> so I was. I asked the other science teacher. I sh- I showed her the picture to Miss Melvin, and Miss Melvin just looks at that and she's like, "Boy, what are you doing?" And I'm like, uh, "I don't know." And she's like, "That's a copperhead. Like, if that bites you, it's poisonous." And so, uh, from that point on, I probably saw, I don't know, I had to guess like ten more copperheads my whole time there and I was out in the woods like every single day I needed it to go for a run after work to decompress from dealing with 14 year olds and <laughs> and so one time though the the craziest time because I, I would take pictures of them a lot of times because I'd be like my eyes I mean I was really good at spotting them you know but one time I'm, I'm going down the dirt road right before you turn onto the trail so it's like the beginning of the run and as soon as I turn onto the trail, I take a step and there's a whole patch of grass. And I just see the thickest, biggest copperhead I've ever seen in my life just sitting there. My foot lands two inches from it. Oh and and this is, you know, when you're in danger, you should react a lot better than I did. Because I just like lost all ability to use my body and I fell down backwards. And I made some weird noise like, (laughs) and uh, I remember getting up and being like, well, 
dude, do you, are you going to do this run or not? Like, this is the beginning of it. You got six more miles. And, of course, I'm stubborn, so I jumped over the snake and did the six miles. But I'm I'm probably not exaggerating when I say every 20 seconds I, I would see a stick and I would think it was a snake. And I would freak out. So, yeah. Oh, I, but that's not – oh, I'm sorry. All that – so all that happened, that's – you know, I never got bit, Right. And the whole time my mom was kind of, which she listens to this. She's my biggest fan, I think. Uh, But uh, so she's going to laugh at this. The whole time we lived there, my mom would freak out and think snakes were going to go into our basement. And I would always be like, Mom, what are you talking about? We're not going to get snakes in our basement. Snakes belong on (laughs) planes. planes. I mean, there was a whole movie on them. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, get these snakes out of this basement with some other words. Um, And so it's the last night we're in Danville and everything's packed up in our house. Um, There's some stuff in our basement in the washer or dryer or something. I had to go get it. And our cat's bowl is like on the steps to the basement. And I hear Lindsay. I'm in a different room and I hear Lindsay go, Chris. Which usually means that there's, like, a bug I have to deal with. And, you know, we had been moving and packing and all this stuff for two days. So I, like, was, I was, like, up to here with, with having to deal with bugs. So I was like, Lindsay, what is it? A bug? And she's like, come here. And I walk up into the kitchen. I look down the stairs. And there's this copperhead just sitting by our cat's food. And so we slammed the door. And I shoved towels under the door. And I'm like, okay, what do we do? And I called my friend who lived down the street, and uh, I was like, dude, have you ever had a copperhead in your house? And he was like, who is this? Because apparently he didn't have my number. <laughs> and uh, we ended up calling, like, I didn't know what to do. So I'm like, dude, I have two, like, I have a one-month-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old in the house. Like, I don't want them to get bit by a snake. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I called animal control but it was night so they sent a cop over and of course <laughs> what do you think happened when we opened the door i don't know <laughs> it's gone like it's just not where it was you know 10 minutes before until a day so i mean it just went <laughs> i think it just went back outside honestly but the cops <laughs> i was like i looked at the cop i'm like so you're gonna you gonna walk in the basement and look for this <laughs> and he goes hell no and handed me the flashlight and I'm like okay so all that being said <laughs> you're lucky you don't have poisonous snakes but so, so Atticus isn't a good like snake killer <laughs> oh my god so that snake by his food he like our cat like ran out there to get his food and he was standing right by the copperhead and I'm like dude get back in here we're freaking out but uh well and also in the back of my mind Lindsay said the antidote for copperhead bites because she'd seen people come into the hospital with copperhead bites right. and it was like 20,000 or something insane expensive and insurance doesn't really cover it does it I don't know I don't know I guess I would assume insurance is like you're stupid for messing with a poisonous snake <laughs> but but so have you seen any bears out there um, yeah, so they're okay. at Mount Rainier quite often. Um, and so, like, I compare our black bears to be, like, Yogi Bear. Like, they're going to steal your picnic basket, maybe, and not attack you. 
And yeah. so um, definitely since the grizzly bears, because habitat's being destroyed north, they're coming down now. And okay. so there are like grizzly bears now in Washington. Um, and I really don't think um, I have great survival skills to like, survive. Like, I don't think anyone does unless I'm like a shotgun, but like, yeah. still, like, I mean, that is an apprehension, apprehension I have. Like, I really want to do Glacier National Park, um, but definitely um, being very respectful of its like grizzly bear territory. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the bears in that room there, and then um, seen one cougar. No, uh, you have seen a cougar. Yeah, so I I know what's more intimidating because um, at least the black bears, once they hear you, most of them will away. Yeah. Um, where a cougar will just like stare at you and they stop too, and so um, that's kind of um, a very humbling experience where you're getting like you're scared of a feline um but um yeah and then i think a fox and then the largest herd of elk lives in um, olympic national forest okay. doing the five mile island trail which ends up being so misleading in the name like people here are so passive like us calling Mount Rainier, a mountain when it's a freaking volcano. Like, it should be called like Volcano Rainier. But once again, it's Five Mile Island, but it's not five miles. Like, it ends up being like 12 miles or whatever. Yeah. So, a friend and I are coming around the corner, and we have been talking, and all of a sudden, like, we came around the corner, and there's like a hundred elk. And I don't know what sound I made, but what I found it was, it made them like stampede. And like, they. <laughs> go in our direction but some of the males stuck around and just stared at us and we were about two miles from the trailhead which actually started at the visitor center as we're coming out like the rangers were like oh you just missed it there was just elk were just running and could you hear them in the forest and my friend and i just like yes i'm sure that was like marvelous when we were like scared out of our minds that we were gonna like die I, like fear like i can just see that like <laughs> just all my things don't die my dear like it's just like just a horror i mean there had to be and this is not me exaggerating because i think the largest herd is like 200 and something here and there had to be at least a hundred of them um in that spot that we could see um and it it's one of those sounds that like since i've seen the lion king it makes me an expert on stampede <laughs> like, it sounds nothing like that when it's like <laughs> wet mud and seeing the trees because they're scared um has an interesting um sensory experience i'm good with not having to like go through again oh yeah um, but totally. yeah it's just garter snakes but a friend who's terrified um like when you tell the story like the garter snakes like this big like it's just like i mean it's a humbling experience like on this one particular trail um it's really close to seattle in Issaquah, and i think the tiger mountain i think there's about 20 miles of trails and different summits as well and probably the highest summit um it's like maybe 2700 feet um and so we were just doing i had the morning off so we were doing a morning hike and so the snake went across her shoes, and then 
I mean, it was probably the biggest pair of snake I've seen. Um, but here I am trying to get a picture of it, and she's like, like we need to leave this area, like infected with like they travel in packs or something. Yeah. So going up the trail, every person we saw, my friend felt it was like her civic duty to like tell them there's a snake on the trail. <laughs> I was just like, I think they're okay with it. But then we came across um, this older couple. And I'm pretty bad with like guessing ages, but they had to be in their 80s, and I think probably pushing 90s. Um, and not only were they hiking the trail that we were hiking, but they were carrying like 40 pounds of like weight on their back. So I don't know if they were planning on camping or if they were just like weight training for some other hike they were doing. Um, but my friend felt needed again to tell them about the snake <laughs> and the little lady was like oh probably just a little garter snake <laughs> and my friend was like no it was a pretty big snake and my friend started describing it and she was like will you be careful dear and i'm sure it's just a snake it's fine like my friend was just like terrified uh, but yeah nothing's more humbling <laughs> like a nine-year-old thing oh just putting you in your place <laughs> I think I remember reading something like when you climbed a first 14er, like you got sick or something. I did. It was, oh my God, it was, it was, it put my ego in its place for sure. Um, it was probably a mixture of altitude sickness and kind of being a little terrified. Um, we, we, mm-hmm. me and uh, Jake Reed, Shane Dowdy, and Travis Stefan, we all jumped in a car like one Friday night and drove all through the night to my dad's house in Fort Collins, Colorado. We slept okay. we slept for maybe, I don't know, three hours, and then packed up, went to a campsite by Long's Peak. We did, okay, so if you're not familiar with the area in Colorado, Long's Peak is, it's the only 14er in Rocky Mountain National Park, or next to Rocky Mountain National Park. So it's the closest one to like Denver and Fort Collins and, that whole area so it's not technically the hardest but it's the most deadly one because of exactly what we were doing you get some people who have never done this before they go up hiking Mm -hmm. it and you know the first like i don't know seven miles are pretty just or maybe six miles like normal hiking and then you get to this part called the keyhole and you go to the other side of the mountain it's like cliffs you know Ah, and and so by the time I made it to the keyhole I was like stumbling and dealing with altitude sickness and all that and I stepped over to the other side walked for about two minutes and then realized like and and it was a bad not to make more excuses but (laughs) it was like a kind of a overcast day and the rocks were all slick and I was like oh that's worse yeah but (laughs) but as a 22-year-old or 21-year-old, whatever I was, with three of your closest friends, watching them go up and get to the top and come back down, and then you're just, the whole time, you're like, man, I am, I just totally wussed out or whatever, so. So every time I see it now, though, I'm like, one day, Long's Peak. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's so close. To, I mean, how close is it to you now? Uh, it's probably, it'd probably be an hour and a half drive, I'd say. Maybe less. Oh. I don't know. So definitely at some point, I'm, I'm making my comeback. Because now I've yeah. done stuff that have been a little scarier and more intimidating, so. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, so do you, have you done many mountains or is it mostly waterfalls or how did you balance that? So I kind of um, definitely am for like the scenery. And so like I definitely, the first mountain I did was Mount Sai, which is kind of a right, a passage to call yourself a Seattleite is you have to <laughs> climb Mount Sai. So I did that within a year of living here. So that was um, my first experience with pretty um, numerous and steep um, switchbacks. Um, so, but I mean, it's something definitely you don't need any special equipment for. And then um, there's like a false summit and then you can do some rock scrambling to get to the true summit. So nothing like um, that you don't have to, besides gas, like anyone can really do it, um, which is, I think, kind of an appeal to it. And um, being so close to Seattle, it's 30 minutes from Seattle. So it's a very popular hike and I did it during um, the weekday. And so um, that was nice. But I. It was also one of those things, too, I had never um, put into perspective because I was seeing people climb multiple 14ers in Colorado. And I'm like, am I like the slowest hiker in the world? Because I just did one mountain and like it takes up the whole day. But not realizing that you guys aren't starting at sea level, like people aren't starting at sea level when they're climbing a mountain. Colorado. That's the biggest so difference thought, between Colorado and like Northern California or any of the California ones in Washington. Right. And so I was putting this pressure on myself of like, oh my gosh, do I even belong on the trail? Like, I'm pretty sure I pass people when I'm like hiking, but look at this person. They did four mountains. I'm like, I can't imagine doing four mountains. So, I mean, I think that just the awareness too, it's constantly learning of like, and maybe that's something other people would have figured out right away, but I definitely didn't. And so that was my first like mountain summit. Um, and I mean, there's been more, many more since then, but I mean, the I don't have like technical skills, so I'm not gonna be rock climbing. Um, definitely I'll do rock scrambling. Um, and the first trail I did that on was Lake Ingalls in central Washington. Um, here in the fall, we have these trees called larch trees. And um, for those who don't know, like the they're green. And then for a very short time, um, they're this vibrant gold color in the fall. They have like thistles. And it's a very short window. You can go see them because one storm or really strong winds can blow all the thistles off. And so then you're left with a tree. So, I mean, people call in sick to work in order to go do the hikes. <laughs> no way. Not saying I was one of those people, but I definitely went during a weekday. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, I mean, it's just one of those things of that was my first time rock scrambling. And you think that you can't lose your way, but you definitely can. And there had been some carns that people had put, but there definitely wasn't enough for my liking. Like, I think every, like, two feet should have, like, a carn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't ha happen that way in real life. Yeah. And so um, I definitely went lower than I was supposed to on the way back. 
And I think also, like, it was, like, a 13-mile hike, and, like, three miles of it, I think, was, like, rock scrambling. So coming back after just eating lunch at the lake, I um, probably wasn't paying attention. I was, this was actually a hike I did by myself. And so I think I was just, like, not realizing it. And then um, on the way to the trail, like, the true trail, you're supposed to be at the top of the waterfall, and you're never supposed to be below. And it wasn't until I got to the bottom of the waterfall, and it's like, huh, this wasn't here when I came. And it's like, huh. So I, like, went off trail for, like, two and a half miles and not even realizing it because, like, all rocks look the same. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I mean, so there's a learning curve to it. And, like, of course I had that moment of being scared. But at that point, too, I knew that I could do 22 miles in distance. And so as long as I didn't deviate too much more, um, I was going to be good. The only true fear was going to be fighting the daylight. Um, I wasn't prepared to be out there during the dark. But, I mean, it's a nice, humbling experience. Like, in 2012, there's no way I could think, like, I could go 22 miles and to be able in a day and to be able to be confident that it's not going to be the distance that's going to keep you from doing something. I mean, it's kind of a nice little milestone that while you're doing it, it seems like it takes forever. But um, when you accomplish it, it's like, of course I accomplished it. Yeah. Like, you know, so. Yeah. What, uh, what else have you learned about yourself doing this? Um, hmm. I think also, I mean, just how important it is for me to be able to be outdoors. Um, thankfully, I'm able to walk a lot during the weekdays, but there's still something about um, getting out in nature of how it has um, a whole slew of benefits that um, are probably not just unique to me, but I find it to be um, very holistic um, as I go through life and just um, how I go through um, just like I was saying like the stresses of life of like if I don't go hiking on a weekend I, I don't think it's a self-fulfillment prophecy of then I'm stressed that during that week but I definitely can notice it as being a difference and like I was joking earlier about how in the Midwest like going from the parking lot to like malls like that was definitely something very materialistic um, that was something fun and something I was looking forward to doing on the weekends. And how when you're out on the trails, like, those things just don't matter. Like, I mean, not getting super dressed up, like, people are going to sweat, you're going to get dirty. Like, those kind of things start off of you just not caring about on the weekend. And then it kind of, like, without you even noticing, you start not having those things be important even in your everyday life like of course you have to do some societal norms like me showing up in sweatpants to work isn't going to give myself a lot of credibility of me being able to help other people with their problems <laughs> they're like they're like look at her how's she gonna help me so i mean there's i mean you have to be aware of those social norms but then to be able to, to like not feel pressure to have to have that for the rest of your time, like I think that was something that was super helpful. And it was something that Allie and I talked about. So Allie and I used to take weekend trips to Chicago and like go shopping. And that was like a shared experience we would have together. 
And when she was going to school in Chicago, I would take the train into Chicago. And so those were like things that we had in common along with our friendship and along with our history. And as like we progressed into our 20s, like we were living all over the place. We didn't get to see each other as much. But yet then somehow on our different paths, both of us fell in love with nature. So then when we get together without it being forced or something that we have to fake, like we have common interests again, even in our thirties. And so like, it's so amazing this like, like the journey you're able to have with friends that old, these old friends that you think you're gonna grow apart. And you would think when you see some things that yes, you're different, but at the core, you're still the same. And for that to happen when we're thousands of miles apart, it's just such a comfort like to know that that was a true friendship. And like how when we were younger, because I didn't come to Iowa until eighth grade, that there was something in eighth grade that we became friends for. And then still we grow in a way kind of at the same pace. So, yeah. I mean, it's kind of a refreshing thing. Well, and it's... It's just, it, it makes you reflect on everything, like your whole journey at that point. Because I yeah. remember seeing Jake Reed. Uh, it, do you remember Jake? I do. Okay, so he lived in Tennessee um, and went to school there while when we first moved to Virginia. And I remember we went on a camping trip with him and just sitting at the campfire being like, dude, who would have thought when we met each other in middle school that we would be sitting around uh, a campfire in Tennessee, or in Virginia, sorry. It's like, what right. a weird life. And it's just really cool moment that you get to reflect on. Um, Absolutely. That you wouldn't have in in, in a, like American Eagle store. You know what I mean? Because they're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And it's just like the depth that happens. I mean, like I was saying, it has to be a pretty good friend to sit in a car with to be on a trail with, like you spend so much time. And so it can't be a superficial friendship or someone who is like a friend that you just grab a cup of coffee with once a month, because I mean, I guess it could start off that way and then a friendship becomes deeper, but it's great to have that foundation as you're going into hiking, because then, I mean, you thought that you were at the deepest level of that friendship, but it becomes even deeper, um, with that and I don't know if it's because you become more relaxed on trail and you're it's the same way like in a therapy group you become very intimate with the people who um are sharing their life story and their deepest fears and so you reciprocate that or you mirror it if you need to and so I mean with friendship that isn't something you think about doing it's just natural so it just naturally progresses into a deeper friendship when you spend that much time with them. Yeah. Oh, and you're outdoors, so all your distractions are eliminated. You know, okay. Lindsay, Lindsay and I will go on little mini hiking adventures every so often just to have three hours where all we have to do is have a conversation with each other. Because, you know, life gets so busy, especially with kids where at times you're like, man, we haven't even talked in like a week. (laughs) And so hiking allows us to actually, you know, get those deeper conversations. Yeah, and I think it's also understanding like what is important as well. So some people may find value of like, you know, I just need downtime and the way for me to de-escalate a situation or de-stress myself is honestly just to read a book or to watch TV. And so I think that's the importance of 
really how you get through day to day is to understand yourself and to know what works for you and not to be like just to own it like you know what like i want to listen to the spice girls because you know it takes me back to a place when time was simpler and just like <laughs> understanding that that's you because not gonna lie like they came on the radio the other day and <laughs> best three and a half minutes of like traffic didn't bother me and i was like you know what this is good so you never know what those things are and so just to like know that and for people not to be ashamed of like what helps them get through the day and so people can search for it their entire life of what works for them and like just immensely thankful that it was in my 20s I figured out like what worked for me because I definitely thought I was like happy when I was in the Midwest but it wasn't until I moved out here that I realized I was content in the Midwest and I wasn't really challenging myself I was challenging myself academically but that's just one part of yourself and part of your being a student was just a part of my identity and so being here in Seattle I lost that part of identity of not being a student and so I had to find out so much more about myself and so I think that the nature really eased that process of losing a part of myself and looking at at more of a positive of what I was gaining yeah um as I gave that up. Yeah. What? Uh, how did you feel the first time you went out by yourself, solo hike? <laughs> so I thought I'd be listening to music on my iPod. Um, and I think this is where I got a little bit more trail savvy of, like, if I'm going to go by myself, I should probably, like, pick yeah. a busier trail. So um, I, it was, like, Boulder River, and there was tons of waterfalls on this hike, and it wasn't going to be tons of an incline, but it could end up being a double-digit mile-wise, and so I kind of liked that. Um, and so I was like, I, I'll see how far I want to go and what I'm feeling and stuff like that. So I remember, like, I had seen one waterfall, and it was, like, mile three, and I hadn't put in my music, but I had, like, my iPod on me, and I was just about to put my headphones in. And then I was on the trail, and then all of a sudden, someone came out from the left and had, like, a machete. And it was, like, Grizzly <laughs> Adams. And I could see a little bit, like, <laughs> in my peripheral. Like, there's a tent over there with, like, a tarp. Yeah. So not even through, like, tent. And, like, he said something, and it probably was, like, understandable, but, like, all my adrenaline (laughs) was, like, making it so I could not understand. And he just, like, walked by completely passive, but I saw the machete. And so there's no, like, relaxing whatsoever. And um, I continued for about a mile, and I was so tense I couldn't enjoy it but then I'm like it was a trail in and a trail out so it wasn't even like there was a loop so I had to go back the same way no way way. did you go by him what did you go by him again I didn't see him which I think is even more terrifying (laughs) so um I remember it was a couple months later before I did another hike by myself yeah I mean, that was one that's quite memorable. I mean, my first machete, my first, like... You know. These aren't the first you're wanting to experience, but they're all part of the journey. I guess to wrap this up, if you were our Seattle tour guide, 
we got to give us some suggestions. So what would be a really awesome hike within two hours of Seattle that is a must do? Hmm. So I think this is where like the occupational hazard of being very client centered would come into like play of like, I would need to like ask you a few questions. True. Okay. Well, hold on. Let me make it more specific then. Uh, we'll do (laughs) waterfall hike first. Okay. So super iconic is Snoqualmie Falls. And so what's great about that is if you have people at all different levels, this is something they can do. And also if you're with family that has small children or people who have mobility issues, um, there's overviews that you can get spectacular views. Okay. And then in 2013, they made a renovation to a trail that goes down to the foot of the waterfalls. You can't get right at the foot of the waterfalls but it takes you down and it's i mean it's pretty gradual like i think it's less than like 50 feet of an incline but for people who aren't used to incline like that can be um there's benches along the way that you can sit down um so it's a very it's a very like friendly hike for people of all abilities nice um Plus, there's a coffee shop there to reward yourself after that we're, arduous. We're going to get to coffee in a second, obviously. Um, <laughs> so what about a mountain? Mountainous. doesn't have to be climb a mountain, but a mountainous terrain. Um, so definitely there's a place called Rattlesnake Ledge. And there's no rattlesnakes. I double-checked before <laughs> I went. Um, and the goal is to get to the ledge, and you can see over Rattlesnake Lake. And it is a gradual incline. I think um, it's two miles up, two miles down. Um, so that one's a good one. Mount Sai, if people have climbed mountains before, um, you won't get lost. The trail is really well maintained. Um, and the view of the Snoqualmie region is really great. And then there's a, if you're not quite ready for Big Sai, which is Mount Sai, there's Little Sai, which is also really cool. Um, and what I love about the payoff at the end of that one is you're on Little Side, and then when you get to the top of Little Side, then you have Mount Side. So you can set yourself up for a goal of like, that's going to be the next thing I do because you were able to kind of conquer Little Side. <laughs> awesome. What about, um, I know you're a ways away from the ocean. Yeah. Even though when I, I when I visited there, I was so confused. I was like, "What a sound! What's a sound?" Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, an ocean esque hike. Um. So Washington has great beaches, um, but they're not going to be sandy beaches really, even on low tide. Which I learned how important it is to. Um, pay respect to tide charts um so the we have very rocky beaches and so um when you have to hike on them for many miles like those rocks become little like torture devices um and you can like twist your ankle really easily as well um but um a lot of our beaches are really friendly too where you park and you just have to hike a little bit in so um and many of them don't require permits, I don't think. So the prettiest sunset I've seen is on Ruby Beach. And then the favorite part of the Pacific Crest Trail that I've done is Cape Alva. 
Um, and it's also known as um, the Ozette Triangle. So it's three miles in, um, three miles on a beach, and then three miles in a different part of the forest. And that's when um, I learned a valuable lesson. I should have checked the tight charts before. <laughs> Did you get stuck? <laughs> so they were just as guilty of not paying attention to the tight charts. So yeah. Um, awesome. So best coffee. In Seattle. Hmm. You're, so, so if anyone listens to this in Seattle, are they going to get mad if you choose a certain one over another? No. I think that everyone has their different opinions as well. Um, but until I moved out to Seattle, I had never heard of a slow coffee bar before. Have you heard of a slow coffee bar? No. <laughs> so um, definitely there's like pretentious. Um, yeah. People, we retract that. People are just very knowledgeable about coffee up here. And so um, I had just been having like drip coffee. And obviously, I had been depriving myself of this whole other aspect of the coffee world. And so um, there's a bunch of slow bar coffee places up here. And um, I drink my coffee black, but there is one place I recommend to people. Um, especially if they add milk to any of their drinks. Um, and it's called Slate Coffee. And they do this drink. It's called a deconstructed um, deconstructed espresso. And they do a really great job of presenting it in a very unique way. So it's three like uh, champagne glasses. And um, the first one has just straight espresso. And then the second one has this organic milk, because it has to be organic, because we're in Seattle. <laughs> and so there's this organic milk. And then in the third glass, it the two combine together. So you get to taste them isolated, um, the different elements that go into this. And um, it is like the best milk I've ever had in my life. And like, so, and the coffee's good, the espresso's good too, <laughs> but combination of the two. Yeah. And that also does a slow bar and you can do like flights of coffee um which many people many places here do flights of coffee um and they have three locations um there's one in pioneer there's one in ballard and then one in U in the u village and then another one that i really like um there's two so street bean i really like because they give they have really great coffee and then also kind of that um mission of like since there's a large homeless population here in, I mean, Seattle, but even metropolitan areas, they provide job skill learning for individuals. So they um, take kids, so it's youth, um, who don't have job skills and they um, train them um, as baristas since that's a high demand job here in Seattle and gives them a very safe foundation. So it kind of adds to the atmosphere and since I work with vulnerable population, it has a definitely a special place in my heart. And then probably the best roastery would be Elm Roastery that's in Pioneer Square. Nice. I knew you'd have I knew you'd have so many answers to that. <laughs> yeah. So I had one of my goals a few years ago was to visit all the indie coffee shops. And so my liver and kidneys definitely appreciate that that <laughs> goal is no longer happening. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's great coffee out here. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, what, this is the last question. What, 
is your goal for 2017? Since you did this awesome thing in 2016, and it sounds like you're pretty goal-oriented. I'm definitely a list maker. I mean, Post-it makes a like killing off of me of like different Post-its. But um, yeah, I think for me, I, I started, um, I mentioned earlier about how being out in nature, it really makes you cognizant of what's important in life. And so that's when I started, it was very gradual. So it wasn't just like one day I woke up and thought this, but it was like, I have so many things in my apartment that don't bring me joy, um, that they just take up space, they get dusty, and then I get frustrated because they're dusty. It's like, so there's just so much stuff. And I didn't really know how to, um, get not to get rid of it but why it was making me unhappy i was trying to rationalize like why i had all this stuff and so there was a documentary a couple years ago i saw it was the tiny house documentary not the tv show um and i really like it like because it talked about not only simplifying but also as a society how we're going bigger and bigger and like the ecological effects that that's having on the world as well because we're building things and then even as you break it down from just a localized a micro level of just the family system of like people are wanting to live in these huge houses and they spend all their time away from this house to pay for this house and so just thinking of it from an economical standpoint as well so I'm like that's really interesting um and how these people who are living in huge houses then downgraded to really um small apartment I mean small living spaces and I was like I think it would be great to be able to fit all my belongings in a tiny house but then when I thought deeper I'm like Seattle apartments are tiny houses so I'm already <laughs> doing it <laughs> it's yeah. like it was like goal already met but I wasn't satisfied by that rationale like there's still a yearning to do something, but I had already rationalized, like I'm already doing that. Like I don't rent storage, I don't have garage filled with stuff. And so it's like, why am I putting this pressure on myself? I'm doing fine, like by societal standards, I'm not making a bigger carbon footprint or anyone else. And so then um, I started wanting to get rid of stuff because I hate packing and unpacking. So then <laughs> It was just like, if I get rid of stuff, then I don't have to pack up stuff when I decide to move to, like, another apartment. Yeah. Um, so I read this book. It was, like, the life tidying up or changing something. It's, like, this method that's used in Japan. And I think the concept is, like, you actually hold an item. And if it brings you joy, then you get, then you keep it. Yeah. If it doesn't, you get rid of it. And, like. You're, like, the fourth person to tell me about this. Okay, so it's starting to show up in pop culture as well. So I watched Guilty Pleasure here, Gilmore Girls, and they even brought it up in the revival of Gilmore Girls about the, um, the joy of, like, this person went through a traumatic event and they were just getting rid of stuff that didn't bring them joy. And this is kind of um, a hypocrisy a little bit. Like, I work so much of, like, feelings and everything like that during the day that, like, it just seemed too subjective when I was reading it of, like, you can't really tell if something brings you joy or not. But I like the concept of it. Yeah. And so I did a small decluttering, um, but it wasn't, like, a huge purge. And so then um, I read The Joy of Less, and that was the book that made it all happen for me. I resonated with it super well. 
and being a list person and very objective, it really did have those like bullet points of this is what you do. Um, and so it just seemed like it was going to be so much more easily implemented. Um, and I got rid of so much stuff. Um, and I mean, something that's very tangible was I was holding on to all these notes from undergrad and grad school. And I started realizing as I was going through, I'm like, this is quite a bit. Um, and I got this ingenious idea. I'm like, I'm going to weigh all this stuff before I recycle it. And I have moved a lot um, from place to place. And by the time I got done, it was over 120 pounds of paper <laughs> that I had been moving from apartment to apartment that's completely outdated, and but I had just been like carrying it with me. And so then you never look at it again. I kind of, I didn't have 120 pounds worth of stuff, but I had some things that I'm like, I took such good notes. I don't get rid of this. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that was once I saw that, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. And I had that moment of shame of like, why am I holding on to this stuff? And it's using up precious, like precious surface area in my apartment. Like it's just one of those things. And so I started purging and not to make light of like mental health issues, but that's one of the signs of like suicide is when people start like getting rid of things. And like, I was so proud and so happy, which is also something else when um, someone's thinking of like suicidal ideation is that they're happy about it because they're like content with what they're going to do. So my friends were getting super concerned. And so like, it was just one of those things that it was such a, it was the pinnacle moment of like a realization and like an epiphany and it happened so quickly. And then my, I was just, I stayed home one weekend. That was one of the weekends I didn't go hiking because I was so into like getting rid of all this stuff. And so I had a change of behavior. So I canceled on a friend, which never happens. Cause I'm like, nope, I started this project. I need to get it done. <laughs> so all these red flags. And so it's so amazing that like through that initial decluttering, how, how much better I felt afterwards. And I'm not adhering to all the rules. Like there are still things I rationalize in my head, even though I haven't used it. And so it's just, it is a process. And so that's why this year, when you mentioned new goals, like I think I got the hiking in the outdoors. Like that's no longer something I need to motivate myself doing because I'm just naturally now trying new things and being open to those experiences but now my challenge is like being able to be proactive and maintain that kind of minimalistic by my standards. Like I'm never from a true definition of being a minimalist. I don't think I'm going to reach that. And I'm okay with that. Like that's not my goal, but for my own personalized um, standards, like, um, like I just got rid of, I still have seven bags of stuff. And for the first time, I started pulling things off my wall because I'm like, why is that up on my wall? Like, I don't like that. <laughs> so, like, it's just, like, so some things are becoming easier. And it reminds me of my journey of hiking, of, like, things got easier where I didn't have to know exactly how many feet of elevation gain. I just had to know I was climbing a mountain. Like, those little things didn't matter. Um, and it allows you to enjoy the experience even more when you're not – um, perseverating and focusing on those minute details. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I 
as a guy who like remembers this morning when his daughter poured out literally all of her toys all over the house. <laughs> Uh, I think that's something I probably could uh, could start shooting for too <laughs> myself. So straight out once again, I lived by myself. I didn't have to consult with anyone else when I started to like pitch things out the door. So I like the joy of less being um, more mainstream because they have multiple chapters for families. Oh, they do. Okay married as well of how you get others maybe not to be at the same level but to understand and to start making those subtle changes of when they bring something in the house they realize something needs to go and so I think that's where I like the joy of less a little bit better than the life of tidying up or I can never remember the title as you can see why it probably didn't <laughs> as much with me they made it too long and so I just can't remember yeah 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 <laughs> Well, that's awesome, and I wish you the best of luck on doing that. But it's funny, like, hiking now is a hobby, like, not a hobby, uh, it's a routine almost, or a habit for you. You formed it over, like, being, you know, being focused on it for a year, which is great. Yeah. So, cool. Well, super good talking to you, and uh, we'll, we'll catch up at some point in the future. Enjoy the new year. All right, will do. See ya. All right, bye, Chris. Bye. All right, and thank you once again to Shada. That was a great time. I hadn't, I went to high school with Shada and I went to college for a year with Shada, but I haven't seen her since probably 2006. So, it, one of the benefits I'm gaining from this is just being able to reconnect with some people that otherwise I might might be too shy to, you know, call up out of the blue. So once again, you can follow more of Shada's story at her blog, which is Daily Amusements of a Midwest Girl. And if you type that into Google, it'll pop right up. Uh, or on Instagram, Shada05. Sweet, amazing Pacific Northwest pictures mixed in with some pictures of coffee and <laughs> delicious, delicious, sweet beautiful coffee every so often um i'm really excited to enter 2017 especially with this podcast like i said at the beginning i think my core goal is inspire goodness and whether that's in you uh who's out there listening to this right now or it's in my daughters or my wife or my family or my friends um that is probably the most important thing to me so one thing I'm not very good at is self-promotion if you can't tell from the ends of these podcasts but (laughs) if you're enjoying these podcasts feel free to you know go on social media and share them or or you know subscribe to them all that fun stuff Uh, you can find us at iTunes at like a bigfoot www.likeabigfoot.com on SoundCloud, uh, you can find our whole catalog of podcasts, so you can find the other 18 uh, that exist right now. Um, over the next few weeks, I'm going to have some excellent guests. I'm very, very excited to share them with you. Uh, I have quite a few lined up, so it's going to be a excellent time, and I hope you guys are out there. I hope you're actually... Even if you don't know what your goal is, or you don't know exactly what path 2017 is going to take you on i hope you are out there 
at least considering it, thinking about it, really taking your time to be driven by your intentions rather than just riding on the momentum of day-to-day life kind of going through each day in zombie mode. So at least think about your 2017 goals. The podcast I recommended at the beginning, um, which you can find linked up on our Facebook page, uh, it's called Dream, Think, Do. And it's honestly one of the main reasons I started my own podcast here because I've always had a dream to do this, but I never actually took the steps to start it. So that's by Mitch Matthews. It's called Dream, Think, Do. It was the latest episode about setting your goals. And he, can, he even sends you a little worksheet that you can work through to set your own goals and your core beliefs and, uh, you know, what fuel, what's going to fuel your goals, all of that. It's really excellent stuff. I would be doing it an injustice even attempting to describe it here. So, yeah. Do that this week. That's your assignment. Do that. I'm going to spend my weekend running 20 miles, maybe in a foot of snow, who knows, uh, in pursuit of one of my athletic goals for 2017, which is the Monument Valley 50 miler. Uh, But really, it's kind of like an oh crap. I got to run 20 miles because in two weeks from now, like two days after my 30th birthday, I'm running the aptly named frozen dead guy 50k fat ass race which if you're not an ultra runner a fat ass race is basically a non-organized race it's not really a race it's more of a run so anyways i'll be freezing my butt off doing that which means you guys can go out and do something hard do something uncomfortable uh in pursuit don't take the easy route do the hard work in pursuit of Whatever you're seeking in 2017. Because you got this. You got this. Not that hard. All right. We'll see you next week.